Hello, hello, beautiful human. Welcome to Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. This is a podcast where we turn shit you don't want to talk about into shit to talk about. As a reminder, all of the views of our guests are their own. They do not necessarily represent those of the host, Jen Janod, or of the podcast, Shit You Do Not Want to Talk About. Please support us on Patreon or PayPal, help share the show, and if not, you know, keep showing up, loving us, it is all up to you. Stay tuned for a dope episode of Expanding Your Mind, yet always make sure that you keep track of what you need, and if anything is triggering, take a step back, skip this episode. If you're curious if this is going to be triggering or not, feel free to check the episode description. Much love. Hello, hello, beautiful humans. Welcome to another episode of Shit You Don't Want to Talk About, and welcome, Wesley. I have realized that I haven't done one of these episodes, recorded a new one at least, in a few months, and that's because I took a pivot to working on becoming developer relations in tech. I'm putting that pause in there because Wesley was the first person I met on this journey. And this was goodness, almost four months ago. And I was like, Wesley, you have to come on the podcast. So Wesley, please introduce yourself and the shit you want to talk about. My name is Wesley Faulkner. I've been in developer relations for four years. Um, Before that, I was doing social media marketing and general marketing for probably like, I don't know, eight years before that. And then um, I was a product development engineer for like five and a half years before that. And then before that, I worked uh, at Dell as a field engineer. So, I mean, I've had like multiple careers, so I have several different hats and experiences. Um, And I would love to talk about all my technical history um, and how it relates to intersectionality between race and neurodiversity or ways that I've been able to cope with figuring out like where I wanna go or how what I wanna do or how I'm gonna get it done. I, I'm open to talk about anything. I'm, an, I'm a very open book. I have a lot of experiences, uh, some good, some bad. And um, let's get started. Yay. I say yay. Like uh, having a podcast called shit you don't want to talk about. And then somebody introduces it and you say, yay. Like, <laughs> is that the right response? Well, maybe this is not the right title for this episode because I'm going to talk about everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so y'all, this is something that I've talked about of, I have ADHD. I'm both bipolar type two. I have dyslexia. I'm also have depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And I've always known about these things, but I never really knew how to talk about them. And this first conversation with Wesley, I was like mind blown in the fact that he knew how to talk about everything. And could you tell us a bit, like, I I feel like my words are not working in the fact that I the impact you had on my journey without, with just one conversation of you have a document that you share to colleagues or your bosses um, in your journey of like, just identifying what neurodiversities you have. I feel like this is a multi-tier question. Before we go into both of those, what is, what does neurodiversity mean to you? So Neurodiversity ties into two concepts. There's neurodivergent and then there's neurotypical. Neurotypical is considered the standard or the thing that people consider okay or well, um, colloquially. Uh, Neurodivergent is the other. Um, So there's, when you look at the DSM-5, there's several listed like dyslexia, ADHD, PTSD, all of those um, like, uh, also autism and so many more. Uh, synesthesia is also neurodiversity. Um, so there's a lot in there. Um, but basically um, what 
those are all considered neurodivergent. Neurodiversity is considered that um, all of those continuums of both neurotypical neurodiversity are part of the human experience and the tapestry of just being human. And so they're not different, but they're all just different shades and different names for how people think, how people operate. And without both, the human race would not be able to evolve or be where it is right now. And so it's all considered normal. I love that. And it's it's interesting because I've always struggled with like trying to find sound clips when I'm recording things. And I'm like, that, what you just said, <laughs> it's just gonna be on repeat for everyone. Uh, now, how does neurodiversion show up for you? Oh, I, uh, when you say show up, I, I guess if you talk about, you, I mentioned the names, but um, I do have executive issues where uh, function disorder, where I, I get distracted a lot. Um, things pile up. Um, when something's not in my face, I forget about it. Um, I'm horrible with names. Suck at that. Um, sometimes um, I obsess over things that are really important just to make sure that it actually gets done and I don't forget. Um, and so that'll also manifest in a little bit of anxiety uh, before I go on a trip, before I have to do a speaking engagement, before I have to tackle a large project, that kind of thing. Um, I can be a little hyped up because I'm actually extroverted as well. And so when I get a little, when I get around crowds or groups, I can be a little uh, tweaky, like make jokes off the cuff or like be a little boisterous. And that, that's kind of like how it shows up with me. Um, and also, um, I don't know if it's related, it might just be a me thing, but I deal with difficult situations with humor. Interesting. This is unpacking that a little bit. And it, have you ever heard of, I always bring up this book yet. I never remember who it's by. Uh, the Body Keeps the Score. Have you ever heard of that mm. book? Yep, I have. I need to look it up. I'm, uh, I'm really using my phone really quick to look this up. Something that you said that um, reminded me of that is also in your tweet uh, that you made uh, a few days ago of that, like the trauma that we've been through mm -hmm. can, in the book, can um, impact our, these like neurodiversions in the and create them as well as like autoimmune diseases and that kind of thing. Do you feel like trauma could have impacted it? Or do you think that like you've always been this way? Um, just to recap, for those who are not aware of the tweet, I had an initial post um, that I published talking about um, some interaction that I had at a previous company with a senior executive that kind of used me and threw me away and then tried to get me fired. Um, and at the end, I talked about like the reasons why I think that happened and um, me being junior, um, uh, the person just liking, um, just really liked to toy with people or control their future. And I also brought up the fact that maybe it was because I was uh, a, a young black person in tech. And, and I said that sometimes different means disposable. Um, and I got called out a lot by several kinds of people, different people, especially on Hacker News who just said, why did you even put that there? Why is that even an issue? Why is that part of it? And a lot of it also, um, those people were blaming me for my, my own persecution underneath this executive. And so I wrote a tweet thread trying to address that point specifically, um, saying that um, being like me, um, and you can choose race or neurodivergence or whatever, being like me means that never having to know why exactly people treat you the way you do, they do. Um, is it because of race? Is it because of bigotry? Is it because um, 
I was so open and, and authentic that people think I'm hiding something else and um, or they don't believe that my intentions are actually um, like pure um, and maybe I have a certain type of naivete that people just don't believe. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Uh, and so I, I was talking about how um, always wondering or feeling um, uh, that you don't know exactly when something's going to happen or why it's happening can also cause a part of uh, some trauma, some trauma triggers. And I could say stress is definitely a trigger for me. Um, and this time was definitely stressful. Um, it also, it's demotivating. So whenever I feel like targeted or prosecuted, um, I feel kind of like, like kind of go inside myself and I'm not I'm, I, I have a lot more restrictions on how I interact with people or how I show up and it demotivates me and really, really affects my executive uh, dysfunction to the point where it's hard to get motivated to, to, to do things that I feel either aren't appreciated or um, especially if it can be used against me because am I providing ammunition for my own um, targeting? So um, that was a long, long time ago, um, over a decade ago, actually, that um, this happened. So I can't say that I remember, but knowing myself, it probably did have a really big impact in terms of dealing with it and how it kind of uh, really negatively affected me by like inflaming um, some of the, 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 the negative traits um, that come with um, being neurodivergent in a neurotypical setting. And thank you for sharing that. It's, uh, how to say this? Um, I appreciate how you mentioned that with the intersectionalities that you have, that it's, it's hard to say, was it because of X, Y, Z? Um, like it could have been a mixture of all of them. It could have been just one or two in the way there is a complexity here that uh, for everyone listening or watching, I there are parts of Wesley's story in my mind that are very, very relatable, yet there are some that I'm never going to have to deal with that is something that I, I really want people to think about in the fact of I've had experiences where I've multiple companies where I've been used up and spit out. And a lot of those times I feel like it's because I didn't think like everybody else did. It just didn't click for me. I yet, and, and so that to me is very, very relatable yet at the same time, I have friends and co colleagues and I've seen them be treated completely differently because of the color of their skin. And, or that could be it, you know, like it's very, very hard to say, I bring this up because I, one of my dear friends, um, she is Muslim and has two kids that uh, at the time were probably eight and 10. And we went to a restaurant and she, uh, she wears a hijab and is uh, fully covered and we didn't get service. Um, like they would not, like they would forget about us, serve the rest of the restaurant, not like even when I try to go get help. And I mentioned this because there's that complexity of, is it because she was wearing a hijab? Is it because uh, they are um, black? Is it because we did something to piss them off? Like it's like these so many different things. And y'all, I mentioned this because this is one of maybe half a dozen experiences I've had compared to what people have to deal with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And how is, 
I don't even know a good way of, of like asking this. Like if this, considering that this is something that you got so much backlash on from, from sharing about it, it, who, like, was there a specific type of human that was giving you, I'll say attitude for it? I'll just say that um, let me take a couple steps back if I could. Sure. Um, on Monday, um, I gave a um, workshop for neurodivergent um, people who are entering tech. So it was a job employment kind of workshop. And so I talked through a couple things and um, one is that um, there's a there's there's a lot of lies out there that we are fed when we are developing and growing up and right before we're entering the real world, whatever however you define that, about how if you work hard, you'll be rewarded. Um, just um, focus on the task. Uh, understand what your goals are, and then exceed expectations. Um, if there is a negative element, there are tools in place and systems in place to help with that, like HR or, or, or rules and regulations in the workplace. Um, if, if you, uh, uh, the world is like a metocracy. So it, as long as you are doing the thing um, you're hired to do that all that matters it's just your your portfolio of work that you create and that is how you're judged um, and I feel that a lot of the backlash is those people who were fed that structure just like I was of how the world works and so when they hear stories like mine it feels like an anomaly or I'm making it up or it just feels so foreign that it doesn't even give a hint of believability. And for those people, they, they may be sheltered, they may be privileged, and or maybe just be lucky. Um, or they are in a, another place where when those things happen, they don't attribute it external to themselves, but really channel that internally of saying, I deserve it, or I did that. So... Um, when you have that negative internal attitude about the experiences that you have, if it is your fault, and that's how you metastasize this to your being, when you see it externally, it must be the other person's fault for that happening to them. So um, I attribute it to either ignorance, sheltered, or not having enough exposure to realize about how prevalent this is and it just being kind of fantastical that certain type of people already have, have these certain type of stories, which means that maybe these certain type of people make things up. And so there's a little prejudice around it. I, I mean, I'll never know why. I don't, I don't, um, I, I can't say that uh, there's a way to actually have decent conversations to kind of tease this stuff out. Um, they usually don't go very far. But um, I can say that there was a lot of things injected into my narrative that I never said in my story that for some reason they said, oh, he instigated or he overstepped or he did all these things where they were just putting the blame back on me into a perceived of this is the way that it makes sense in my mind for it to go down the way that it did. So that in, in terms of me, hearing and understanding and having compassion for people who reacted that way that's the way that i make sense in my mind of how they can have those types of reactions this one's tough y'all like this conversation is something i'm very passionate about yet like something that I've struggled with and is like, how can I be passionate about something that I've never had to deal with and how to advocate 
in bringing these type of topics to the table, I, I say that in the fact of the experiences that you're um, talking about, Wesley, I've, I've seen from my, I've done them myself. I've seen it from other people of when they never had to experience it, it's something that it is really easy to put on almost like rose colored glasses of, you know, like it can never be that way. And it's a lot of that empathy of showing, hey, what, what is their reality instead of just what I'm imagining, like what is somebody else's reality? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious of how do you talk to like, how, how have you had to help change other people's realities to talk about this? Because I say it in the fact of, and a response to my tweet, uh, to Wesley's tweets um, earlier, which y'all, yes, y'all, I've suddenly become like really in love with Twitter. I don't post on anything else anymore. Um, was because I, I looked up his thread and I, it's very, very powerful. Um, and my reply to one of them was, if it's difficult for you to empathize or imagine what they're dealing with, take on that emotional burden yourself. Google is right there. Yes, many of us have dealt with trauma. There is too many that deal with trauma, but also systemic issues that we can never imagine. Wesley is on our show today, so I'm asking these questions. Outside of that, I probably wouldn't just be like, yo, Wesley, so like, how does this show up for you and how do you change the conversation? Mm. Uh, Because that is putting the intellectual and emotional burden on you. And I'm, I'm curious, like, A, how do you start changing the conversation, but also how do you take on that, those burdens? Because do you feel like it's everybody's responsibility to be a part of the conversation or like let people be and like, that's your own responsibility? That's a really, really deep question that I'm not sure that I've done the work to think about as much. Um, The reason is because I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't know if I can impact the conversation from changing people's views about me, neurodiversity or whatever. Um, most of the time when I'm speaking to it or speaking on it, um, it is by request, right? So someone's asked me to talk about it or I've submitted a talk and it gets accepted or you know, self-selecting if I'm going to appear or record a podcast that people listen to it. So I've um, never explicitly um, had conversations or um, been requested to debate anyone who has an opposing view in, in, a, in the attempt to try to convince them. Um, what I kind of focus on is um, knowledge sharing. Like I feel like I, I've learned some things and I'm still learning and I'm trying to share that so that those who want to listen can understand and those who um, don't know that they need to know um, that there's stuff for them to find Uh, so um, they can draw out these things that make sense to them to help them feel less alone and for them to have like a a, at least um, a beacon to move towards if they're like oh 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 that is a name that is the grammar that is the thing that is describing the thing that I need to know about, that I want to know about. And they're able to use that as a launching point to, to go and do their own self-discovery. Um, and before we started hitting record, I was saying that a lot of the things or a lot of my engagements that I do is an act of recovery for me because of the amount of shame and stigma that I felt internally and externally through different sources about um, people labeling me and telling me who I am and it not feeling right. 
um, some of that um, is still something that I'm working through. And so as I talk through it, I'm almost manifesting my own uh, future in terms of saying it is okay to talk about because I talk about it. And so that is kind of the, the thing that we're, it's okay to talk about because I started talking about it. And so I felt really uncomfortable at the very beginning of this journey with expressing what was going on internally about like, oh my gosh, this is the thing that I've like spent my whole life holding on and making sure no one knew. And now I'm just talking about it. And it, so it was like a, a leap of faith and super uncomfortable, but I, I knew that I had to start that journey of 10,000 steps because um, it, I, it was difficult, it was hard, but it was worth it. And it still is because it allows me to be able to ex express the real me and the least amount of masking that I'm able to do throughout the day, the more freer and more capacity I have to, to feel all of the other feelings that are available. So that's, I guess, a long-winded way of saying that um, some people who are not going to change are not going to change. And I am not going to spend so much effort into having them see the ways or for them to understand um, it's, um, I, I'm not super religious, but I still, um, I grew up Catholic and there's a, the proverb about sowing the seeds. I'm not sure if you heard about this, where some landed amongst the thorns, some fell on a rock and birds took them away. Some found fertile ground and started to grow, um, where, uh, I just kind of like cast and, and that was actually a proverb about the word of God and knowledge. And I'm not, you know, no equivalency here, but um, just, just like throwing them out. And like, if it lands, it lands. If it's not, it's not. If you're not ready for it, that's totally cool. Um, that how it is received is not something that I'm taking full accountability or, or responsibility for. Um, and, uh, if there is engagement and people want clarity or they want to know more, I'm, I'm an open book and I'm open for these kind of conversations. Your replies, like, make me have a lot of, I have to think through it before I say something. <laughs> um, because, uh, something that, and I, I love how you said, that you don't necessarily have the conversations unless they come up like with your speaking or your speaking is um, your speeches are accepted or you know sharing the knowledge that you already have. I love that as like a part of something we can all do. Um, and then I also something that I found myself doing is, challenge a lot of people's questions because I'm in rooms that not everyone may have access to mm -hmm. and challenging the perception that they have by asking questions. Mm -hmm. I say that as, um, as an example, I had a family member um, who couldn't comprehend why Juneteenth was a holiday and why it was a federal holiday. Um, or this came up again when Columbus Day became uh, Indigenous People's Day. And instead of just letting them be that way and almost, it's like almost agreeing with them if I just like ignore it and continue the conversation. And sometimes, especially with family, I do need to to keep the peace yet there's this responsibility I feel I have of actually saying, yo, like, why do you feel that way? That's not cool. Like, that is not something that, and like asking them where they, why they feel this way and like digging deeper. And to your point, like you can't always change the way somebody feels or thinks Yet for myself, challenging it is, I feel like a part of my responsibility because if I don't, who will? And, um, and I guess I'm also answering my own question because it's not something that I put a lot of thought into. I also don't feel it's like everybody's responsibility to do it. Um, 
like to challenge everyone around them like that could cause a lot of chaos uh but i i i struggle with this idea of like if you're in a place that could have impact why not use that to be able to better the world yet mm -hmm. at the same time i don't think everybody has i don't want to say strength is it um don't have it's not their jam to do it like not everybody's going to be an advocate just because they have power you know it's not necessarily their what they vibe well with or what they do in the world uh, something that really really caught my mind about what you said and like people when you're sharing your knowledge of how people show up and can latch onto it and find more information that's a lot of how i was able to continue going into uh developer relations um but also finding my own voice with i host a mental health uh neurodiversity twitter space for neurodiversity and tech mental health and neurodiversity and tech see if i can get what it's called. Um, and we choose a topic every week. Um, and a lot of it was having the clarity from you sharing your experiences and your knowledge, like with letters or things that you talk to with new people that work with you can you share a bit about like what you include like if when you start working with someone and they need a to best get along with you could you explain like what your neurodivergence that you include and in what you've talked about in those okay i'm going to touch on everything you said in that um with the confrontation and the letter and all that stuff because it's all kind of related um where um so the blog post that I did was on the Just Work website. Um, there's a book called Just Work, which is how do you work in a just workplace. The author of that book is Kim Scott. Kim Scott also wrote a book called Radical Candor. So Radical Candor is a way of being able to communicate in a work setting. And in that work setting, what uh, she lays out is that you have to, you can't just be honest with someone, but you have actually have to be compassionate. Um, and um, you can't use um, attribution bias, which is your person who you're related to said this thing, thus the person is racist. You cannot attribute the action to the person um, saying that they are this person because that is a fixed mindset. Instead, it's more of a growth mindset saying that um, that the person did something and this was the impact. And so the attribution goes to the action, not the person. And so when you have those conversation, it doesn't come off as blamey, but more of like, I'm not sure that you understand how that impacted me or how it came off for me. And you're able to explain it. And that's where you start to have those conversation where you're open to the person not knowing that instead of having an accusation because the harm that they caused is is uh, by default intended. So you try not to do that. <clears throat> so those conversations with it comes from a, a piece a piece of compassion and really caring for the person you're interacting with is key to having those conversations. And um, Radical Candor and Just Work was amongst many, many of the books that I, I read um, that deal with like neurodiversity for one, even though it's not specifically attributing that to that, but then business and leadership books. And so that all gave me the framework of how things should work and how things actually work. And having that framework allowed me to actually identify anomalies. So when I re, um, reflected on my experiences, knowing that this framework existed, it allowed me to actually show or explicitly so, um, like show me like how management, leadership, all that stuff failed me because now I know how it should be done, right? 
Um, and so being able to make that that difference or figure out that difference between those ideals and the actual ways that things did happen, but then also gathering the tools to understand how it could have been changed, meaning like once it was identified, how to remediate it, gave me a lot of lists of understanding of how to understand a framework or where I want to be and how to navigate it to get to where I needed to. And so I took a lot of my learning about all the stuff that did go wrong in the past in my work history and the ways of mitigating it from uh, an IC individual contributor place. And then I put it into this letter. So not making sure that there's no gaps for excuses. So if they didn't know about ADHD and dyslexia, that was in my letter about these are the resources you can learn about this stuff. Um, I talked about my working styles, like this is how I'm most optimal. I put that in the letter. Um, here are the form is the format that I like to receive my my goals. Um, and so um, I put that in the letter. I talked about what kind of reinforcement that I need to understand if I'm on the right track. I put that in my letter. I put the like if I'm dyslexic. And so if I give you a very short written answer, it's not because I'm mad and pissed off. It's because it is labor for me to produce text. And so I'm just trying to be efficient with my time and my ability. So if you need more, if there's more questions, please follow up with those, but don't think I'm mad or I'm being curt. Like I put everything that I've learned that was trauma informed or <laughs> to say that I, I just wanna avoid from all the pitfalls from all of my history I just want to preempt that as much as possible. And I just put every single bit of it into this introduction about how I work. Um, and um, kind of like, you know, the last stance, like right before you're being fired or walked out and someone says, well, you haven't done this or you're like this. And then me like saying, why do you think that this is, let me explain. So all that things from let me explain basically from my history, I just put it there. I love that. And y'all, I, I want to share a bit about how Wesley impacted my journey. I actually bring this up while I'm job hunting. I, so I am currently job hunting and I have yet to actually write it out on paper yet. This has been something that has really helped me show up in my job interviews in the fact of people have asked me, they're like, well, what do you want out of a manager? Or what are you trying to get out of this job? Or what do you see in this? And everything you just said has really, and I, I read an example of one of his letters of everything you just said really helped in the fact of being able to talk to my own strengths and weaknesses and how they may show up. So as an example, I have said in interviews, what I need out of the manager and the team is to understand that I am really a hundred percent or nothing. Like I am like go or not go. I am not a good in-between person. I really struggle with, um, I may be able to do like two weeks worth of something in one day compared to, I may seem like a slacker the rest of the time because I'm just exhausted or I may get off track and go into the weeds. And I need somebody that understands that to be like, okay, Jen, maybe you can refocus over here. Not as like, I'm trying to do this. It's just where my mind goes. Also um, with my dyslexia, I've in so for those not in the technical world, uh, developer relations has very, very many different titles and jobs that go into it um, on a very high level. Some of it can be like writing blogs, doing videos, speaking, writing content, uh, writing code. And it was me letting people know that I for being dyslexic, I may not write blogs all the time because that's really hard for me. Yet, if they want me to, I will. It just might take a little longer and I may need them to help break down things if I'm not getting it. And I mentioned all of this because I started a live stream called Teach Gen Tech 
And a lot of it had to do with the first person I talked to was Wesley in like the Deborah roles and Wesley shared that he's dyslexic. And I was like, you can be dyslexic and be in this industry. What, what, this is a thing. And then I talked to, um, Ramon who wanted to do peer programming. And I was like, what's peer programming. And it's basically where you learn live by somebody helping you learn how to code with, uh, streaming the video or recording video. And then the third person, um, his name's Anthony. And he was talking about, I told him about Wesley and I told him about Ramon and he's like, then why don't you just start your own show? <sighs> Mind blown in the fact of learning how we learn ourselves and what we do best, a lot of times will help others help us help them succeed. That I think that made sense. Yeah, just play it back at 0.5x if you need to. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, that does bring up a question. Have you, uh, do you mostly listen to audiobooks then or like podcasts instead of reading? Yep, to both. <laughs> <laughs> what are some, uh, how fast do you listen to them? Usually one and a half. Okay, okay. I, I asked this because there's a book that I believe you and I discussed, and I would love to hear more of, of things that you've found as helpful of um, the dyslexic advantage. Mm, um, it. It's a very, very good book. I learned to listen to audiobooks instead and our podcast, and now I can do it the same. And I had no idea that I could listen to things on um, faster. So if I'm wearing headphones, I can listen to things at 2.5 speed. If I'm not wearing headphones, so it's like a further away, I, I do need to do it at like two times. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all a little different for all of us. What are small techniques or habits that you've found to help get unstuck or make you more productive, like uh, executive dysfunction? Like that's one that I'm curious about for myself too. Well, a lot of the times uh, in order for the getting enough stimuli, I'll listen to this while I'm doing work. So that's another one that helps with unstuck. Um, and um, try to remove as many barriers as possible. Um, so um, I also listen to this while I take a shower, listen to podcasts and audiobooks on a plane specifically. Um, and um, I use Libby and Hoopla which are apps that when you attach your library card, you can get audiobooks, like you check them out of the library so you don't have to worry about feeling like you have to keep spending money or have a, a costly subscription. So I use that a lot. Um, and also it's really good is that um, um, these have like, uh, you can put books on hold if they're not available. And so I just keep putting, like when I hear something or like, oh, I need to read that, I'll put it on hold. And then when it comes off of hold, I get a notification saying, hey, this is not, not uh, this is available to borrow. And if I'm ready for it, I'll check it out. And I was like, okay, I have my next book that I'm gonna read. Or there's this delay where you can dump it back in the queue for a certain period of time. And so I will forget which books that I put on hold, but then I get this nice little push notification, which tells me which, what, what is next. Um, and if I don't finish a book, I'll just put it back in the queue and then, um, really great. I love Libby for mostly, I use it the most, but if you're halfway through reading it and then you haven't finished and you put it back in the queue, when it comes back, it'll pick you up right where you left off. So you don't lose your place, which is great. And you can do little bookmarks for parts of that you want to visit and go back and reread or re-listen to, which is really great. Um, but that's for knowledge acquisition. Um, and also, of course, podcasts or they come in and I just kind of listen to those. But in terms of productivity hacks to help me stay productive, um, I try to take um, written notes, like I have a, my own notebook here in front of me. But um, what I, for the important things, or like I try even when I do written notes to transcribe it and move it into my own Kanban board. And so 
Treadle, Trello is good for that. Asana is good for that. There are several different Kanban solutions. And what the columns that I set up is usually like a backlog. So like not time bound things, but things that I kind of want to do. I'll put it in that column. Um, and the there's a the things that I need to actively work on. I have a column called working. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have another column saying follow up. So I've done something and then I throw it over the fence and I need it to come back, um, send an email um, and say, hey, what was, can you give me more clarity on this thing that you want me to do or whatever? I'll put it in the follow up tab that it's over there and I threw it over the wall and I needed to come back. And so sometimes I forget and say like, oh, I'll remember because I'll get an email back and then I'll work on it. Sometimes those emails don't come back, but you still need to follow up. So I have a follow-up to them. Um, then I have another column that's done. So things that I've accomplished, I'll move it over there, just drag it over. Um, that's really good when it's kind of like review time or you have to do a report or you talk to have a one-on-one with your manager. They said, what are you, what have you done? Um, if you have, have your done column and what you're working on, those are really good for those. Um, and then I have another column that will not do. So there gets to the point where sometimes I have to declare bankruptcy on something or just realize that was too aspirational and I will move it into there. Um, and sometimes when I get stuck, when I have this thing on the to-do list, <clears throat> what I'll do is I'll break it up into smaller tasks. Um, so let's say I have to write a report. Um, I'll make break it up into smaller tasks saying, make a new document with the title of the report. Like I didn't do the report, but I've done something to like put a placeholder where I'm putting my notes in. Um, make an outline for the report. And I will then make that as another task um, and then make notes on the outline of the things that I'm going to put in the report. And then once I like make my first draft where I just expand on all that and just put the, the pros in there. And then the other is like grammar check, then read it through whatever. I'll just break up those tasks. And so that I'm able to move smaller things into the done list instead of having a big chunk. So if it's, it seems to sit there for a bit, I break that up and then that way I still feel like I'm making progress. Um, the other thing is um, delegation. <laughs> um, so if uh, sometimes I get stuck in the research phase where I don't know exactly, I, I know I need to do this thing, but there's things that I just don't know and I have to do the education on. Um, sometimes there are people, um, because I'm dyslexic, I'll have a conversation and that gives me more information than Googling and reading a whole bunch of things. Um, and so scheduling a meeting for working with a colleague or a person um, with maybe not even a person who can give me the information, but they can give me another person who can give me the information. That is something that allows me to delegate and move things forward. Um, uh, asking for favors, um, like just putting something like on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever to ask for questions and wait for those to trickle in the Slack groups or whatever. So taking advantage of the, the community itself to help me move me in the right direction of what terms to, that are important. Um, those, are, those are ways that I help kind of move things forward and stay productive um, whenever I feel locked up on the executive dysfunction is to kind of just try to take those tasks out of me and figure out a way to tackle it more efficiently. Um, oh, one other thing that I'm just now experimenting with. Um, I love talking to people. Um, I love helping people. Um, and uh, it's, it's almost like a, like a candy where it's so sweet and gooey and I love it so much, but it's not necessarily healthy for me to do that. Um, and so I created for myself office hours. Every Friday, I'll say, if you want to talk to me, go to my office hours instead of having these random meetings that I love to do, but then sometimes can derail me in my work. And so that's something that I'm experimenting with now to kind of like still feel like I can help people, but just time box it to uh, only one day uh, a week so I can try to be more efficient. I love that. And that's that reminds me something that I really admired about you when we first met is you knew your boundaries and and you were like hey yeah you can follow up with me with like maybe a question here or there but I don't have time to like 
I'm paraphrasing here, y'all, because I didn't, this was like four months ago, but like handhold and like answer like a ton of stuff. And I found it really powerful because you knew how to respect your own time. And I was like, well, it's to set expectations because I also don't want you to reach out and then I drop the ball or uh, I give you the answer like three weeks later than what you needed to. I just wanted to make sure that we were, that you knew exactly, not just for me saying like, I can't deal with it, but also just so that you don't feel like uh, that you put all your eggs in one basket, that you can diversify your ask. And cause you'll know that I'm just restricted in, in, in that regard. And, and that was really helpful because again, like I, I already was planning on meeting with more people, but it made me go, okay, I definitely need to find more people to reach out to on this journey. And I say that in the fact of this is a conversation for another day, but like, if you're looking for mentors or you're looking for people in an industry or doing something that you don't know how to do is just in my own journey, Wesley, like you set that up really well. So thank you. Um, just for a little bit of, um, insight, because we talked about a Kanban board. Um, what is Kanban? I'm Googling, I Googled it. So I'm going to read this from here. Kanban is a popular framework used to implement agile and DevOps software development. It requires, okay. I'm just going to paraphrase this of it's basically everything you just said of a, uh, to do, um, what you're need to follow up on, what you're working on, what um, is stuck, what you've completed. And I like that you added um, an additional one of, you're just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I get stuck on, and now I'm just curious, um, I really liked how you mentioned that you needed to break down a report and start with the smaller steps. This might be a very silly question, but y'all, this is a good way to learn from others is ask the silly questions anyway, because other people may be stuck on it too, or- There are no stupid questions, only stupid people. No, joking, go ahead. Um, When you, um, because a lot of times y'all, the way I envision it um, for Kanban boards and the ones I've used is they're kind of like sticky notes on a wall where um, to do a report would be like one sticky note. When you break that down into the smaller tasks, do you create those tasks within the sticky note or do you create them out as their own sticky notes? Depends on how many lists there are and what how top of mind it is because if I put it inside then sometimes once I I mentioned kind of like if it's not visible then I forget about it Mm -hmm. um if if it's something where like I'll just come back to that later and it's less of a priority I'll put it in um like if someone says hey where's this thing or whatever I was like oh let me just check and like oh yeah I just need to do that I'll, I'll I'll get to it later or whatever depending on where it is on my priority list um if it's higher priority like something's more urgent I will make it its own card um and I will retire the the, the parent one and then just have these different ones with the tag of saying this is I outline for this tag outline uh, or like details for this tag or whatever. And I'll just have that as several different cards. Um, and then um, that does two things visually. One that shows me there, but two, it actually elongates it. And it feels like, wow, this is a big task and makes it so that I feel like when I look at my to-do list and I see a long list of things, I feel like, okay, yes, I can't take on more. There is more that, I, that, that I'm at capacity without this thing where it's like, yeah, I can do more. I can take on more things. Um, so it's visually, I see my list getting so long that I'm like, whoa, I shouldn't, I shouldn't opt in to more work. I love that. And just something that I really want to pull out of this that I want people to really think of is this is a big reason why many, many that have some type of neurodiversion may not be able to talk to what they did because they don't necessarily always see everything that goes into a really big project. Like you ran a report. For a lot of people, they may be able to speak to all of the details that go into it and that it is a lot of work. But for a lot of people, if it's not broken down, they may not realize everything they did to be able to talk to it and why it took them so long. 
-hmm. So thank you so much for putting words to that, as well as putting words to an earlier part of the conversation where I was talking about like helping challenge those around me and radical candor and having that compassion. I was like, you literally just put words to what I was trying to say, but like the way I meant to say it. So, Can I show you something? I'm yes. gonna show you something, hold on. Yay. All right. So this is the packet I created for the workshop. Yay. Uh, and um, I talk about a little bit, a lot of different things, but just gonna... And um, here's a slide that talks about my evolution. It's going to be hard to read because oh, of the lighting. Yeah. But there's three boxes here. The first one is learning. So doing a lot of reading and research. And um, this is the kind of the, the thing that I did to kind of build that vocabulary that I talked about before. Um, it's hard to describe things without having words for it or ways to, to kind of like lock on to an idea. And um, there's this, I know we're over time, so I'm gonna go really quickly about this. No, you're, there's, a story, you're good. Good. <laughs> there's a story about this person who was like found like in a jungle or something like that. Um, they were abandoned as a kid and they grew up with animals and um, they didn't have language. They never learned how to speak or talk because they didn't, no one taught them. And then when they were found, um, they're educated, they're, they got taught a language. And the question was asked to the person, um, what were your dreams like? And the person said, I didn't have dreams. And if you don't have language, you cannot attach concepts to things, which actually inhibits your ability to actually retain and to develop those thoughts. And so I did a lot of learning just so I understood I could have a framework or things I could attach to my brain so that I could really understand these things so I could put words to them in order to communicate and to think about them. Um, then I moved on to self-acceptance where understanding like a lot of the metacognition stuff that I did, the, the thinking about thinking and learning about how people think, that um, being different doesn't mean that I'm outside the standard. It just means that I'm one of many, which of totally accepted ways of being. And so once I was understanding that I was part of a cluster instead of a dot outside of a bell curve, it made it so much easier for me to just be myself because uh, that's okay. And then I formed my new path with, with me shirking all these narratives that I was told of how to be, uh, how to be fixed, uh, a way of getting along with me releasing those rules or constraints I now created my own of like, how am I going to judge if I'm doing the right thing or if I'm moving in the right direction? And so I created my own rules for the things that I want to be, what is acceptable to me, what kind of person that I want to be. And that is how I moved forward after that. So those are the three steps of my evolution that got me to where I am. But the very first piece is being able to build up that vocabulary so that I can really put worse of things and concepts to work with those. I absolutely love that. And that's something that um, I feel like a lot of people wonder, how do you go from unlearning the bad things to, you know, open space to the good, I, I say bad things, good habits, bad habits, good habits, like things that we've learned that uh, of frameworks that we're told we have to be a certain way. And that is such a good way of of putting vocabulary to it. So thank you for sharing that. And I, I feel like you might have answered the next couple questions, but you know, just to make sure, do you have anything else that you wanted to cover today that we haven't yet? Um, apologies, but my dog is barking. So hopefully you could hear this through the barking. Um, but uh, so you, you mentioned good things and bad things. And I talked about the framework. Some of it is good, some of it's bad, depending on how it affects you. Um, but it, what was important is to understand that there is also the dual side of it. Like when someone says, for instance, <laughs> I, I talked about like how sometimes I use less words, I don't really expound on things. And sometimes I'll use a word to me that means like five different words. 
And then someone told me that instead of me being too curt or brief, they said that the words that I use or the way that I put things is poetic. Um, and so when you're thinking or going through this things about all these things that I'm bad at, all my skills that I'm criticized for, um, remember that there is a positive spin and then you also need to take, make sure that you can use that positive spin to your advantage. If for, for instance, if someone says that, you know, you wait to the last minute of something, that means that maybe you work better under stress for on, on a deadline, um, or maybe you call it efficient instead of being like, you're, you're efficient with your time because that's when you use it is when you need it. Um, so whatever negatives that are floating around that either you've told yourself or people told you, realize that there is a positive spin to it. And that is also your story. And that is what you need to also realize that not everything is negative. One other thing that I wanted to say, because we do think differently and because there are things that I can do that other people can't, sometimes I used to confuse with effort and worth. Sometimes I'll do something and it'll just be to me low effort. And to me, I felt like that was low worth, but sometimes the thing that you can do that someone can't, that is extremely valuable. And just because you, it is low effort on your part, doesn't mean it needs to be devalued totally. Okay, my mind is going in so many different places all at once. Um, first off, y'all, uh, if we need to do a Wesley recap at some point about what you just said, Wesley, let us know. We will, because um, I got everything you were saying, but hopefully everyone else does too. Um, there will be a transcript on the website. So worst case, you can go look that up. And then on your last point, and this is something that really impacted me about um, something you said during our first conversation, I'm going to try to recap it, was just because something is uh, easy to me does not mean that it's a skill, that it's not a skill. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, yes. It's, uh, you were explaining that the very first time, because to me, networking and talking to people and, you know, making mistakes in public and just like, just having fun with it all is something that's so natural to me that I never realized that it's not where other people go. Like they can be very, very structured. And you, you saying that during our first conversation of just because it's easy, doesn't mean it's not a skill has really changed my mindset to what you just said of that negativity to a positive thing and being able to talk about my skill set now. So y'all just go follow Wesley on like everything because there's always like knowledge drops and little nuggets of goodness. Is there anything, any words of wisdom that you would like to give the audience? Uh, if you can say it, you can survive it. So if you don't wanna to talk to the internet, talk to a friend, talk to family, talk to a counselor. Um, if you're struggling with something internally, don't take that fight 100% on your, your own find someone to talk to doesn't matter who it is find a stranger even on the street but just you know if you can say it you can survive it so if you're struggling please please tell someone thank you for that and damn so many knowledge drops from wesley today uh, what is how do people reach out to you if they want to have questions follow up or see your work uh, don't send me a LinkedIn request. I'll tell you that. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, but uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter. That's my network of choice. Uh, my DMs are open, so feel free to contact me there. Um, if you do want to have more of an interactive conversation, I mentioned that I have my office hours that I'm starting. Um, I'm not launching that publicly until December, um, but if you go to coffee.com forward slash Wesley 83, you'll see my tiers and you can subscribe now. And coffee is spelled K-O-F-I.com forward slash 
W-E-S-L-E-Y 83. Um, there's some early bird specials that make it cheaper if you get in now before I make it public. So if that's something you're considering, go ahead and do that um, before the prices go up. Um, but uh, that's what I'm trying to do in terms of to time box, like I said, all of my uh, inquiries uh, and in a format that works best for me, which is meetings. I love talking, but when people want to chat back and forth, that actually is a drain for me. So that's what I'm doing. Definitely. Thank you. And beautiful humans, as you know, you can find us at uh, Shit to Talk About on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, the website, all of the things. The podcast is Shit You Don't Want to Talk About because we turn it into Shit to Talk About to break down those barriers. And you can always follow us on Patreon to be able to get a uh, new episodes earlier, as well as help us out and donate. And last but not least, Wesley, what is something you're grateful for? I'm grateful to you, Jen, um, for giving me the space to talk about this and to um, sharing your own story about like the impact that my words had on you and your journey that makes it feel very worth it to kind of um, expose myself on a regular basis. Um, and that I, I feel like I am impactful into the world, like I'm making a difference. And so that, that, that feels really good. So I'm really grateful for you. Thank you. And you kind of took mine, gosh, in <laughs> uh, the fact that I'm really grateful for you. And y'all, you how to say this? It doesn't mean that you always have to go like find that person that made an impact on you like seven years ago. I mean, you're welcome to, and I bet they would love to hear that, uh, that you're grateful for it. And I just appreciate what you put in the world in the fact that our first conversation really helped me get unstuck with so much that I was in my head for. And it has really given me the opportunity to encourage others to do the same and to share their stories and how unknowingly we may impact each other and thank you for just being you like you you just show up and you're you know you don't hang out on the bench you are in the game hanging out being there for yourself and being there for others and your actions really teach the rest of us a lot and thank you Wesley and to all the beautiful humans listening, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.